folks. Welcome to Pickaxe and Roll. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. I'm the site manager over at Denver Stiffs, and we're partnered with Mile High Sports to bring you uh, one of the like only solo podcasts that covers the Denver Nuggets. I know that I love the DNVR crew. I love the knock- Locked On Nuggets crew. They always do great things. I, I try to do this work as-, as best as I possibly can and-, and decided to take up this endeavor solo and wanted to just introduce myself once again as we're getting into the playoffs. And I'm sure that this, this podcast is probably going to reach a different audience uh, given that a lot of Warriors fans are probably going to be interested, maybe some into or not some national folks are hopping in. So, if you're interested in my work, reach out, leave a review, leave a rating. Uh, as always, I'm going to do my best to cover the Nuggets from the most objective, but also subjective in some cases, uh, perspective that I know how. Uh, but this is going to be a very interesting time. This is a very interesting time for the Nuggets as they are. It's been described as purgatory. It's been described as a variety of things. But the fact is, is that they clearly have the talent to win a championship. But that talent right now isn't on the court. Jamal Murray has been out, been sidelined for a long time. Michael Porter Jr. been sidelined since November. And without those guys, not a lot of people are giving the Nuggets a lot of chance to advance within the playoffs. Everybody just assumes that Golden State is going to kind of mow over Denver, I think is what we're kind of getting at here. I think once we see the national projections go out, we're going to see the series lines come into focus a little bit more on the betting markets. I think a lot of people are going to see that Golden State is favored. And then when you see the predictions from national sites, you're going to see probably Golden State as the pick in 90% of them, if not more. So with that in mind, I wanted to break down this playoff series by the numbers. And part of that is to kind of just go back through the regular season, what the Nuggets did well, what the Warriors did well, what both teams didn't do well, go back through their individual matchups and kind of take what we can from those individual matchups, and then sort of define this series by the actions that are going to be run Uh, the post-ups for Nikola Jokic, the off-screen actions for Golden State, what those are going to look like throughout a a playoff series and how this series might ultimately unfold. And we're going to break that all down, going to do a whole bit to do on it. And I've got a lot of stuff planned over the course of this week. I've got a couple guests that I have lined up, going to do a predictions segment, uh, not segment, so predictions night on Friday night, and then we've got the game on Saturday. So Should be a lot of fun. But for now, let's get into the series by the numbers. And let's start with the Nuggets. Let's start with how good these teams are statistically. The Nuggets are 48-34 and in the regular season. They had a plus 2.3 net rating, which ranked 11th. And when I think of net rating, and this is more me generally, when I think of net rating, I think of any team that's plus 5 or better in net rating is elite. And we had five teams like that this year. Phoenix, Boston, Utah, Golden State, and Memphis. Now, Utah is a big outlier there, and they've got some very strongly internally awful issues. But they were also a regular season machine at different portions of the regular season. So I'm not surprised that they're in that category. 
And I do think that's, if you're throwing any of those teams out, it's probably Utah, but all those other teams are really freaking good. You could probably sub out Utah for Milwaukee, I think. Plus one to plus five in net rating are the good but flawed teams. Denver falls into this category. They're not quite plus one. They're not quite plus five. They're they're sort of in the middle there. They've shown enough throughout the year that they are talented and capable. But the Nuggets are not an average team. They're not an elite team. They're somewhere in between the two. Minus one to plus one is kind of the average category. And what we saw in the NBA this year is that about five teams in the NBA were elite and about nine of the others were pretty good. And then there are some average teams kind of in that 15 to 18 range. And then everybody else below that is subpar to bad. Uh, But for Denver specifically, they ranked sixth in offensive rating, 15th in defensive rating this year. They're a good team, Sands, Murray, and Porter. I don't think anybody is really arguing that. A lot of the reason that they are good is because they have Nikola Jokic, who I think is the MVP of the league. He has propped up a lot of what the Nuggets have been able to do, partially because he's available all the time, but also partially because he's just a freaking awesome player, and he works with a lot of different personnel. But the one player that he had on the court for the majority of his time was Aaron Gordon. Aaron Gordon and Nikola Jokic, they shared the court for nearly 2,000 minutes. It was actually 1,999 and they were a plus 9.6 in net rating. So when I say plus 5 or better is elite, plus 9.6 when you're kind of boiling it down into different segments, that's really, really good too. Borderline elite. Denver against sub-500 teams this year was 28-8. and They had the second most wins in the entire NBA behind Phoenix against those sub-500 teams. Now against the plus-500 teams... They were only 20 and 26. 13 other teams had more wins versus plus 500 teams. Now, I like to use these sub 500 versus plus 500 kind of barriers as the difference between getting good seeding versus being a strong team. If you are going to be a strong seed, if you are going to be a high seed in the playoffs, a one seed, two seed, three seed, etc., You need to be great against the bad teams, taking care of business. Now, if you plan on doing anything, you have to be competitive in the games against your competition, against your like quality teams, the plus 500 teams. So Denver, they profile as a team that is good because of what they did against the sub 500 teams. They do not profile as great because they struggled against the above 500 teams. I think that seems pretty fair. Now, in the clutch, this is kind of where it boils down to, and clutch clutch net ratings and, and records and things like that, they're all pretty uh, flexible because of how small the sample size is in general. So take it with a grain of salt. The Nuggets are 23 and 17 in clutch games, 18th in clutch offensive rating, 12th in clutch defensive rating, and 13th in net rating. I think that would surprise a few people because most of the time people think of Denver as a good execution team. 
with Nikola Jokic out there, with a lot of people that are just fairly capable when they're healthy. But Denver also had some games where they weren't very healthy and where they kind of struggled in clutch games, where they kind of fell apart at different points in time. So I'm not surprised that it kind of ended up like that. Now, moving over to Golden State, they have a 53-29 and record and a plus 5.5 net rating, which is fourth in the entire NBA. Now, the offensive rating for Golden State wasn't that great. It's actually surprisingly average. It was 16th. They were 112.1. Denver was 113.8. They're actually definitely better on the offensive side of the court. But where Golden State shined this year was on the defensive end. The Boston Celtics had a great defense for the majority of the year. They were 106.2. They were the first-ranked defense. Golden State was second, right in between Boston and Phoenix. They were second at 106.6 on the defensive rating. And one of the reasons that they were, well, there's, there's a few of them. One is because they have a lot of quality defenders. They have a lot of players that are just very strong. Uh, Draymond Green is the strongest defender that you could probably get out of there. And he's just very capable, knows what he's doing, one of the smartest defenders of all time, and is a quarterback of the defense in every sense of the word. But they also have different capable defenders at other positions. Gary Payton II, somebody who steps, he, he just stands out every time I watch him. Uh, Clay Thompson is a solid defender. He's not at like, he's not at his best because he's coming off of the ACL tear and the Achilles tear, but he's still very good. Uh, and then Andrew Wiggins, also a very solid defender, not the most impactful, but definitely somebody that you, somebody that you can throw on a big wing, can throw on a big guard, and feel pretty good about that matchup. If you're the Warriors, the Warriors also switch a ton. They know what they're doing as a switching defense. When Steph and Draymond are on the floor, Golden State is a great team. Full stop. Full stop. They didn't share the floor for enough time. They only had about 700, 800 minutes or so when they when Steph and Draymond shared the floor, which I, I thought was a typo when I initially read it because Jokic and Gordon shared the floor for nearly 2,000 minutes. Steph and Draymond shared the floor for about 40% of that but they were a plus 14.8 net rating when those two shared the floor compared to Jokic's and Gordon's plus 9.6, which just kind of shows the difference in explosiveness and execution and everything you want to call with it. Golden State also only had 11 total minutes this year where Steph, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green all shared the court. Obviously, that was the backbone for their initial championship runs. Obviously, Clay has been out for a couple years now. And then when he came back, you had Steph go out at various points, Draymond go out at various points, and they just haven't been able to stay on the floor healthy together. And right now, you have Steph Curry, who's currently out, and that's definitely a big question mark heading into this playoffs. That is he going to be healthy going into game one? Is he going to be fully ready? Because if he isn't, then I think Denver could potentially be considered a favorite. 
if he is healthy, then there's no question who should be the favorite. The Warriors should be. Uh, what I will say is that the Golden State Warriors are only 23-19 and 19 in clutch games this year. I was surprised when I saw that, and I know that that's a little bit shaky, but their execution just hasn't been where it needs to be. 23rd in clutch offensive rating, 3rd in clutch defensive rating, ninth in net rating, which I'm kind of surprised about. But what I will say is that I still trust the Warriors and their championship pedigree. They know exactly who they are. I trust them to be able to figure these things out and to put their best foot forward in a series against Denver. I'm not sure what Denver's going to take away. I'm not sure where Denver's going to really put the pressure on them other than Jokic. And we're just going to have to see. We're going to have to see how that goes. Can Jokic rise above the level of the Warriors death machine? I think it's a good question. When we come back, we are going to talk about the previous games that these two teams shared. They play four games together. We're going to talk about them when we come back. back pickaxe and roll ryan blackburn here thank you so much for tuning in once again if you leave a rating review or subscribe to the podcast apple podcast spotify google wherever you get your podcasts that would be fantastic all right let's get into uh just some general data and and some discussion about the regular season matchups that these two teams had they played four games against each other and neither team was fully healthy for any of the games there were absences in all four And those don't even include the Murray and Porter absences. Like Denver's full starting lineup for each of those games wasn't even even available in any of them. So can you throw out all of those games? Some aspects of them you can throw out, but we'll talk about them here. The Nuggets were 3-1 and against the Warriors this season. Steph Curry missed a game. Klay Thompson missed two. Draymond missed all four. So obviously, handicap these numbers with that. Obviously, Murray and Porter didn't play either. But it may not matter if you don't expect those two to play at all during the first round series, because that doesn't really change what the regular season matchups looked like either. So, uh, But here's the thing. Morris missed a game. Uh, Gordon missed a game. Barton missed two. Denver wasn't fully healthy in any of those matchups. And I'm not surprised that they sort of struggled. Actually, there was one where I think they were fully healthy. It was the game right before the All-Star break. So everybody's trying to get out and and get away at that point. So I'm not really surprised that that game may not be the best indication of everything either. Some general notes about the shooting in those games. The Nuggets had an offensive rating of 111. The Warriors had an offensive rating of 111. The Nuggets scored 439 points in those four games. The Warriors scored 439 points in those four games. So no matter what players were there, what players weren't there, the games were close. And I think we could still expect a pretty close series for the most part. Because there are some matchups that 
Denver can't stop, and there are some matchups that Golden State really can't stop unless they have a Herculean effort from Kevon Looney. Denver's three-point shooting in those four games was 29.5%. They averaged 33 attempts per game, shot like hell, wasn't a good look. Golden State, they shot 34.5% in those games, and they averaged 37 attempts per game. So Golden State averaged about nine points per game in the scoring margin over Denver from behind the three-point line. That's to be expected, right? And that's like, even if Golden State shoots better and Denver shoots better, that's about the line that I would set for what the Nuggets can expect throughout the series. And it might even be more than that because Golden State has Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, and Jordan Poole. And all three of those guys are incredibly dangerous. The Nuggets, well, they have Bryn Forbes. I'm not sure how much Bryn Forbes is going to play in this series. Denver is Bones Highland but he's a rookie. How much is Monte Morris, Will Barton, Jeff Green, Aaron Gordon, Austin Rivers, how much are those guys going to really match up with the deadly three-point shooting of Golden State? I'm, I'm doubtful that they can do that, but what they can do is they can take the total, or they can take the battle to them inside. That's what I'm trying to say. Denver's two-point shooting in these four games, 47.8% of Denver's points were points in the paint in these games, and only 6.4% of those were mid-range points, or not of those. Denver scored a whole bunch of points from two-point range. They didn't score a lot from mid. They bashed the front of the rim, basically, and they did their best to attack the glass and they grabbed 31.1% of offensive rebounds. And that was just a really, really high number. Like, even comparably to uh, the rest of the league, like, 31% offensive rebounding rate is really high. And it takes advantage of Golden State's biggest weakness, that they're small. Now, Golden State, on the other hand, their two-point shooting, 41.9% of their points were in the paint, And they had 8.7% of their points in the mid-range. Only 19.8% of offensive rebounding rate. So definitely less of a focus on the two-point game from Golden State. Now they are, like with Draymond Green, they will do their best. They will definitely do their best to get the cuts, to find different avenues in the pick and roll, to get to the rim. But I'm going to say that Denver's going to be the team that really looks like they're going to bash the front of the rim in and try to bang in the paint as much as they can because they've got the bigger bodies, because they've got strong cutters. That's what they're probably going to look like. Denver's free throw rate in this in these four matchups against Golden State was also pretty high at 33%. Golden State's was 29, which is also high, but not quite as high as Denver's. Denver on the season was more like 24% on the year. So having a bigger increase in free throw rate is a big deal for a Nuggets team that sort of struggles to get free throws against most teams. So we're going to see how that holds up against the Warriors. Now, let's go game by game here. Let's look at some of these games on, on the individual level. 
and think about, okay, what can we take from this game? Game one, December 28th, Denver 89, Golden State 86. The Nuggets got a win. Here's who the two teams started in that game. Denver started Faku, Austin Rivers, Will Barton, Jeff Green, Nikola Jokic. Golden State started Steph Curry, Gary Payton II, Andrew Wiggins, Juan Toscano-Anderson, and Kevon Looney. So on Denver's side, no Monte Morris, no Aaron Gordon, no DeMarcus Cousins, no Bryn Forbes. And on the Warriors' side, no Clay Thompson, no Draymond Green, nor Jordan Poole. So look, it was a rock fight this game. Austin Rivers really struggled. Uh, no, he didn't struggle. He, he did a really nice job against Steph Curry. And I was just very impressed with Austin Rivers following that game. I thought he was a warrior in that particular game, not to be confused with an actual Golden State warrior. He was fantastic. And Denver having an opportunity to deploy somebody like that against Steph, who wasn't a primary offensive option, was a really big deal. But the cost of that, along with playing Faku, along with playing Jeff Green at times, was that Denver didn't have great spacing. It was a rock fight. Denver didn't even get to 89 points. This was a massive collapse by the Nuggets on offense in the second half. But they're still able to get a win. So does it count? I don't know. Does it, does it mean anything? I don't know. Probably not. Game two. This was the game right before the All-Star break. Now, there are four games that I think of on the NBA calendar that I usually just throw out. You've got game one, the game before the All-Star break, the game after the All-Star break, and game 82. All four of those I usually throw out. And this was one of those games. This was definitely just kind of an occurrence here where you had no Draymond Green on the Warriors side. And that was really the only major absence for either team. But it still sort of felt like everybody was on vacation. The Nuggets started their normal starters. The Warriors started uh, Gary Payton II in place of Draymond and they went smaller. But Jokic fought through some uh, really tough doubles and not not tough double, but like really physical stuff and, and some strong defense from Gary Payton II. And he dominated scoring-wise, rebounding, playmaking. He had some major assists to Monte Morris, Aaron Gordon, Bryn Forbes, Austin Rivers down the stretch. That lineup in particular, Morris, Forbes, Rivers, Gordon, Jokic, was very good. They spaced the floor for Jokic, did a really nice job of making sure that they were just fully engaged and capable at different points. And maybe Denver decides to go back to that lineup at some point, but... You did have Monte guarding Steph Curry. You did have Austin Rivers, I think, guarding Jordan Poole. And you had Aaron Gordon guarding Clay Thompson, I think. So there were just a lot of uh, lot of difficult matchups for Denver out there on the perimeter. And the Warriors, they only shot 29.4% from three, including one of seven from Steph. So I'm not really expecting to the, for this to be a massive matchup indication either where you don't have Draymond and things get a little bit weird, but it is going to be interesting to see how the Nuggets sort of match up with trying to outscore 
the Warriors because that's what they needed to do when they had Bryn Forbes in the game. Game three, this was a game March 7th, 2022. The Nuggets won a 131-124. This was a game where Steve Kerr protested the game. He basically didn't send any of his players to that game. They played it out of protest. No Steph, no Clay, no Draymond, no Wiggins, no Andre Guadala, no Gary Payton II. They started Jordan Poole, Moses Moody, Damian Lee, Juan T, and Kevon Looney. And they did a really good job against Denver. Denver didn't have Will Barton for that game, but it does seem like that was a throwaway game. So, in review, we're looking at the first three games, all Denver wins, all games that we could probably throw away. Now you go to game four, where Denver starters weren't even complete then. They still didn't have Barton back, so you've got Morris, Rivers, Gordon, Green, Jokic. But the Warriors, they started pretty much, and they had pretty much everybody outside of Draymond. Steph, Moses Moody, who they had as the rookie who played pretty well a few days prior against Denver. You had Clay, you had Andrew Wiggins at the four, and you had Kevon Looney. This was Denver's sixth game in nine days. They were gassed. They clearly showed it. The execution wasn't good. The fact that they were even in the game at the end was a big deal. But they shot 7 of 31 from 3. Jokic shot 0 of 8 from 3-point range. And he looked like, he, like as somebody who was there, he looked like he was somebody who was going to shoot the ball until he made it. And he kept shooting, and he kept shooting, and he kept shooting, and he missed every time. Curry was dominant for stretches of that game. It was stretches where Austin Rivers wasn't on the court. I think that's one thing that I would really point to in that game that Denver decided to go to, I think it was Davon Reed and Bryn Forbes and Bones Highland against Steph Curry, and that didn't really work. Not really surprised. Um, And so Denver lost that game. But here's the thing. They were in all of these games. They were capable of winning all of these games. And despite the fact that the Warriors didn't have Draymond Green, there are still definitely reasons to believe that the Nuggets can be competitive. Absolutely. 100%. I would be lying to you if I thought that Denver was going to win the series based off of what I'm reading here and based off of what I know of what Draymond can do. But I am going to give Denver a chance in this series. Absolutely. And as long as Jokic stays healthy and out of fatigue and staying fully active and gets enough help from everybody else, it's going to be hard for the Warriors to match up with him. Really, really hard. So we're going to see how they do. Let's take a break, our final break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about which actions are going to define this series based off of what we saw from the Nuggets and the Warriors in the regular season. We'll be right back. segment pickaxe and roll thank you so much everybody for tuning in 
it's going to be an interesting series. And I wanted to kind of lead off this week, as you know, kind of prefacing with what I'm expecting, what we think that's going to happen statistically for these two teams. But here's what I'm really looking at uh, from the actions that are going to really define the series, what these two teams are good at, what these two teams run a lot of, and how this is going to look for both of these teams. Number one, can Denver guard Golden State off of screens? This is Golden State's pet action, where they look to get Golden or not Golden State, they look to get Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Jordan Poole, all of those guys are elite coming off of screens. I don't care what the numbers say from an efficiency standpoint. They're the top one, two, and three players in total off-screen shots. Total shots where they come off of screens, and not maybe not shots, but total possessions where they come off of screens. The Warriors love to run it. They love to cater to those actions for players that frankly deserve it. They're very good. They're very capable. They average nearly double the amount of off-screen possessions the Warriors do over any other team. Now, the Nuggets' defense is reasonably well-equipped to defend some of these actions where you've got uh, the Nuggets who are seventh in points per possession allowed off of screens, which is pretty good. And let's say you've got Draymond Green running the DHL. He will likely be going against Jeff Green or Aaron Gordon, one of those two. Nikola Jokic will be on Kevon Looney. He'll be away from that action. And the players that will be involved for Denver in the primary action away from the away from the rim are likely to be Monte Morris, Will Barton, Aaron Gordon, Jeff Green, Austin Rivers, guys like that. And those guys are reasonably good at navigating screens. I think that Barton is the guy who struggles the most, but the other guys are generally pretty good. And they can really switch out and do some other good things while defending the gaps, defending the passing lanes, trying to make things difficult for the opposing team. So this should be an interesting matchup. And do I think that Denver is capable of sticking with Steph Curry for seven games? No. But Steph Curry is also coming off of an injury. And we're going to have to see whether he's at peak condition and peak form. Because if he isn't, then this is... Golden State's primary action where they may have to go with Jordan Poole a little bit more and and Klay Thompson a little bit more. And yes, those guys are capable. And actually, I'm just going to leave it at that. They are capable of doing that. So we're going to have to see how it goes. Number two, how are the Warriors going to handle Nikola Jokic post-ups? Now, the Warriors defense is generally very good, very good at guarding post-ups. They allow 0.87 points per possession on post-ups, which is the second lowest mark of any team just above the Phoenix Suns, which is pretty funny. Um, The Suns are great at everything. Nikola Jokic is the highest efficiency, high-volume post-scorer in the entire NBA. 1.17 points per possession on post-ups this year on Synergy. He has been fantastic in the post. But Kevon Looney has given him some physicality issues at various points in this matchup. Draymond Green is also just a very smart defender. 
in these matchups. Those guys are going to be big. It's going to be a very interesting battle between those two and Jokic. And Aaron, or not, not Aaron Gordon, Aaron, Andrew Wiggins will get some opportunities. Probably Nemanja Bielitsa will get some opportunities. Otto Porter Jr. will get some opportunities. None of those guys can stop Nikola Jokic. But can they slow him down? We're going to have to see. The Warriors like to dig down on Nikola Jokic's post actions. They do not like the double. They do not like to go one-on-one. They just want to crowd the paint. They want to be right where Nikola Jokic is when he wants to make a move left or right. You'll get somebody on the baseline, on the opposite side, and you'll get somebody on the elbow, on the strong side of the action. And those guys are going to be hell. And sometimes they'll double, sometimes they won't. Sometimes they'll just stick a hand in there, and sometimes they'll act like they're doing so and then kind of duck away from the action, hoping to get a pickoff for a steal. So, it's going to be a cat and mouse game, and nobody plays the defensive cat and mouse game like Draymond Green. So, he's going to probably have Jordan Poole, not Jordan Poole, he's probably going to have Gary Payton II out there as well, and those two guys could cause hell for Nikola Jokic and the Nuggets offense. So, Jokic is going to have to rise above that. He might have to just simplify, do his best as a scorer. And if he scores 40 points on 25 shots, is that good enough? I don't know. We might we might be finding out because kind of like against the Trailblazers, I think, I think the, the Trailblazers are going to want to see what, not Trailblazers, I think the Warriors are going to want to see what Jokic can do from a scoring perspective, try to tire him out because he'll be different in game one than he is in game six and seven. Now, number three, which team's low-volume pick-and-roll ball handlers are going to step up to the table? Now, Steph Curry isn't a low-volume ball handler, but he is a very efficient one, and he's like one of the only guys that runs pick-and-roll on Golden State. Denver, they are last as a team in pick-and-roll ball handler frequency. That's when one of those guys shoots the ball, commits a turnover, draws a foul, whatever. Now, Golden State is 29th. They are second to last in frequency. Neither of these two teams run a bunch of pick-and-roll. Golden State goes off of screens. Denver likes to run their cuts and their DHOs and... Uh, yeah, he handoffs and post-ups and things like that. Very rare that these two teams just go simple pick and roll because they're not really geared to do that. So I'm very interested to see when they're forced to do that, who's going to step up. For Golden State, Steph Curry is at 1.02 points per possession. Jordan Poole, 1.0. Andrew Wiggins, 0.88. So it's a little bit behind. For Monte Morris, he's at 0.88. He's Denver's best, and he is one of Golden State's kind of weaker options. Bones is 0.02 or 0.82. Not great. Barton is 0.8 by himself, so definitely not great. I'm a little bit more concerned in Denver if I'm looking for holes in the argument. For if you got to bog it down a little bit, 
if the other teams are kind of sitting on Jokic or they're sitting on weak side actions, is Monte Morris and Bones Highland and Will Barton and guys like that, are they going to be able to step up to the table? I hope so. That would be the best way to advance in this series. They could win those points on the margins. But I don't know if Golden State's going to make it that easy for them. I think that Golden State can get what they want in a Monte Morris, Nicole Jokic defended pick and, at, pick and roll action or a Barton Jokic pick and roll defended action. If it's Gordon and Jokic, if it's Austin Rivers and Jokic, might be a little bit different. But I'm a little bit worried about Bones in defense, Barton in defense, Morris in defense. And I think that's fair at this point. Number four, will the Warriors ever try to isolate against Denver? Because I was looking up some numbers for Denver's defensive guards, and all five of Denver's primary defensive guards are their primary guards. You've got Monte, you've got Will, you've got Bones, you've got Austin Rivers, you've got Bryn Forbes. All five of those guys are in the bottom 10 percentile in isolation defense when the opposing team tries to go at each of them in isolation, how do they do? How do they fare? How do they perform? And when the other guy is scoring one-on-one, they generally perform pretty well. At least the offense does. The defense, Denver's defense, does not perform very well. Now, Golden State is 24th in the NBA in isolations as a team, isolation frequency. That's the seventh lowest mark. So they don't do it that often. It's not really in their ethos and their their team chemistry, their team building to isolate, to go away from the team concept. But what I will say is that you're in the playoffs and you need a bucket and there are going to be times where the offense bogs down. And sometimes simplification is the easiest way to get a good shot off. And for the Warriors, they have Steph Curry. They have Jordan Poole, who's very good at this. They have even Clay Thompson has been pretty good at it. Andrew Wiggins can do it a little bit. They have some guys who can isolate. Steph Curry is 1.2 points per possession, scoring on isolations, which is 96th percentile in the entire NBA. Denver has the worst points per possession allowed in the entire NBA in isolation defense. So, one of these two things has got to give, or it might not, and Golden State may just never get to that. They may not feel like they have to, but they can probably go to it if it's in their back pocket, if they need something else, or if, let's say, Draymond gets hurt and they need to simplify some actions, hunt out some mismatches, I think that Bones is somebody that will get worked in that situation by the right player. It's got to be Steph, probably. I think that Bryn Forbes, definitely. Monte Morris, probably. Barton could give some, um, he's got some size, he's got some length. So maybe he'd give a little bit more of a contest, but I'm still worried about these guys if Golden State does try to ISO. So I think it's fair to be concerned. And then finally, Can Denver hit enough spot-up shots? This is the one thing where if you're playing pick and roll, if you're playing 
post-ups, if you're running DHOs, the thing that is going to keep the Warriors from overloading on the primary action is if the weak side shooters keep them honest. Denver is fourth in points per possession on spot-up shots. They are 20th in frequency, so it's not like they do it all that often in comparison to other teams, but when those guys, Monte Morris, Will Barton, Austin Rivers, Aaron Gordon, Jeff Green, when they are asked to spot up and hit the open shot, they have generally been better than I think a lot of people recognize. Let me give you an example. Monte Morris, 1.19 points per possession on spot-ups. That's in the 89th percentile. That's elite. That's a, that's a great number. Austin Rivers, 1.2 points per possession. 91st percentile in the entire NBA. That is elite. Like Those guys are elite shooters on the spot-up shots. Jeff Green, 1.1 points per possession. Don't know the percentile off the top of my head because I didn't write it down, but that's good enough. If you go 1.1 on those shots, and let me let me define a spot up for you real quick. It's when you catch the ball in kind of a catch-and-shoot situation, and you either shoot or drive immediately. And you can drive all the way to the rim, and that counts. But if you shoot, that also counts. So Jeff Green, 1.1, that's good enough. Aaron Gordon, and you're getting into murky territory there. And Will Barton at .94, not good enough. His best possessions are when he simply simplifies. And when he does the catch and shoot, he's better as a catch and shoot guy than he is as a catch and drive guy. Because he gets in trouble not being able to get all the way to the rim. Now, if he can finish at a little bit better of a clip, then he will look better. But he's going to have to be shot ready and shot capable in this series because the Nuggets are going to be drawing a lot of double teams with Jokic. Jokic is going to draw that. He's going to be good enough as a post-up guy, as an isolation guy, that the Warriors are going to draw some doubles. They're going to bring some doubles or they're going to just kind of condense the floor a little bit, which means that Jokic is going to pass the ball. He's going to find the open cutters and the open shooters. Those guys are just going to simply have to hit shots. If they don't, Denver doesn't move on. If they do, Denver has a chance. So we're going to see. We're going to see who Golden State decides to leave open. We're going to see whether Golden State is going to double Jokic, whether they're going to just kind of do their normal thing and play it pretty solid. Or are they going to just leave it one-on-one? I'm very curious to see how they interact with it. I'm very curious to see how these teams look at it. But those are the numbers, folks. Those are what to look at and how to prep for what is going to happen for this upcoming series. Denver's got to be prepared prepared for the off-screen actions, for the cutters. And Golden State's going to have to be prepared for the post-ups. They're going to have to know. It's going to be very fun. That is going to do for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll. We're part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, site manager over at Denver Stiffs. Thank you so much for listening. 
Uh, appreciate it all the love and support as always. I will be back tomorrow with my good friend Gordon Gross as we talk about a variety of things, but most notably, Nicole Okich and Bones Island. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.